0: so great to see you. I missed you last week, Um, but I'm glad that you're back. Hope you came back in time, or at least were someplace where you could celebrate Easter with God's people worshiping. Um, So I have a little quiz for you today. I just want to make sure that your brains are working and that you're back and ready to engage in Bible study, so I just have an easy little quiz for you. Here's a little math problem to get your minds going this morning. Okay, a bat and a ball cost $1.10. The bat cost $1 more than the ball. How much did the ball cost? Ten cents. How many of you think ten cents? Raise your hands high. You think ten cents. Okay, the rest of you don't know, or you're taking time to think about it? (laughs) Okay, they want to they go back one more time. You can think about it again. Go go back one more slide. There we go. The bat and the ball cost $1.10. The bat cost one dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Five cents. Okay. Well, if you answer ten cents and I answered ten cents, let me just tell you that you need to slow down and pay attention. Because here, in in uh Let's, okay, well, this is, if you answer 10 cents, go ahead. If you answer 10 cents, here's the thing. The ball costs 10 cents then. The bat, we know that the bat costs a dollar more than the ball. So that would mean the bat costs a dollar 10, which means then the bat and the ball would have been a dollar 20. Right? Hold it there though for a minute, Adam. Because here, this comes from a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, written by Nobel Peace Prize-winning economist Daniel Kahneman, he uses this illustration as a simple example of how we need to slow down and pay attention. He writes that most people come up with 10 cents. Okay, let's be honest. How many of you thought 10 cents? Let's just be honest. I thought 10 cents. Okay, so you're in good company. And he says the distinctive mark of this easy puzzle is that it 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 invokes an answer that is intuitive, appealing and wrong (laughs) because as you can see when you do the math actually that would mean that the total if it was 10 cents would have been a dollar 20 and so the actual correct answer is five cents who said five cents we want to okay several of you said five cents so if the ball is five cents and the bat is a dollar more which makes it a dollar five then the two together is a dollar ten that's the right answer now, don't feel badly if you got it wrong, because they gave this little puzzle to people at Harvard, MIT, and Princeton, and 50% of them got it wrong. <laughs> and when they did it in universities across the board, 80% of university students got it wrong, okay? So you're in good company. But here's his point. His point is that solving the problem doesn't, doesn't depend on intelligence. Solving the problem depends on our willingness to slow down To focus intently and to pay attention. And of course, paying attention doesn't always come naturally to us, which is why Paul has been talking to us about challenging us to be intentional about how we walk with Christ. We must be purposeful about how we live our daily lives in light of our identity in Christ. And that, as we know, as he's teaching us, takes concerted effort, it takes thoughtfulness, and it takes focus. And so I want us to remember, if we will, where we left off before we went to spring break. So if you remember, Paul was challenging us a couple of weeks ago to be imitators of God, which we talked about actually means to be mimics of God. He reminded us that with the Holy Spirit's help, we could love like God loves. We could walk in love. We also, uh, with the Holy Spirit's help and because of our new identity in Christ, can live in light because we are children of light. And so if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, he was exhorting us to to make good choices in regard to sexual immorality, in regard to covetousness and greed, and in regard to how we speak, how we use language, how we joke. And he's been teaching us to be intentional with our lives, to pay attention. He's been teaching us how to take off the old and put on the new. And that requires effort. That requires intentionality. That requires us slowing down and paying attention to how we're living our lives. And so now today, continuing in that theme, Paul is going to teach us how to slow down and pay attention to how we live our lives so we can walk in wisdom and rely on the Holy Spirit as we do. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Pay attention how you walk, walking in wisdom, and then that's Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, and then walking in the Spirit is Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. So what we're going to learn today is that we need God's wisdom and we need his Spirit to live our daily lives. So let's talk first about walking in wisdom. Paul begins in Ephesians 5, verse 15 by saying, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Notice that even in those first few verses, there's three instructions that he's giving us. He's telling us that we need to become wise, we need to make good use of our time, and we need to be able to discern the will of the Lord. So let me ask you, why, how can we become wise? How do we become wise? Well, to begin with, we we must know God's wisdom, and we must actually obey his wise counsel. When we know his wisdom and we actually do what he says, we become wise. To be wise actually is to be intentional about how we live. It's to give forethought to choices. It's, It's to seek guidance when we need help. Do you know that we never will drift into wisdom? We'll never just end up being wise one day unintentionally Whoa! look at me I'm wise that doesn't happen wisdom takes intentionality it takes focus it takes work it takes application Um, wisdom takes preparation and it's about making the best use of the opportunities that are that avail themselves to us how many of you have ever built a house many of us have so let's just use that as an example Okay, when you start to build a home, you don't just start nailing boards together, pour a little concrete, and call it good, right? It's a very intentional, thoughtful process. You usually get an architect who has a design experience, who's able to create a master plan. You hire an experienced contractor who knows how to read blueprints, who can run a crew, who can put the house together exactly as it's been designed. You've got those city officials that are watching over your project. They're making sure that everything meets code and everything is done according to how it's supposed to be done. They have to pass inspections. I mean, there's a whole thoughtful, carefully planned Intentional process that goes into building a home that's safe enough for you to move into and have shelter in the storms and to be secure in with your family. And it's the same way for our, our Christian lives. Living the Christian life, living life in Christ takes intentionality, it takes planning, it takes purpose, forethought, discipline. Um, it takes knowing God's wise truth and applying it to our lives in a very particular way. And the Bible tells us that wise people actually pursue wisdom, but foolish people, it says, despise wisdom. The Bible says that that for a foolish person, a foolish person thinks that wisdom is actually folly. They think that living with purpose and intention is foolishness. You've heard the term "eat, drink, and be merry" for tomorrow you die comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, that's the mindset of a foolish person. You know, you've heard the term, you know, the one with the most toys wins. Live today, be happy, you know, you only get, oh, you know, YOLO, you only live once, right? That's actually the foolish person's motto, and um, that's not how the Bible teaches us to live. How, How many of you have seen the movie Gravity? Do you remember Sandra Bullock and George Clooney? Anybody seen that movie? So in this movie, Sandra Bullock plays um, Dr. Ryan Stone. She's a medical engineer who goes on her first shuttle flight with George Clooney, who's a very experienced astronaut in this movie. And um, it's, it's kind of a, a powerful movie because what happens is they're on this space shuttle and they're out in the middle of space and an, a, a, a debris of space garbage, a hailstorm of space debris hits their space shuttle and blows it apart and then they are just tethered to each other floating out in the blackness of space. They've lost all communication with Earth. There is no hope for them ever getting back to earth so they're just floating out in this space tethered to each other in darkness without hope it's very dismal but after the release of this film there was a German astronaut who was asked to um, to talk about the facts of this movie. So he's a German astronaut. His name is Ulrich Walters, and he he was out in space, and he did space training, and so he was interviewed to say, well, what would be the reality of this movie? How true to life was this movie? And interesting, this is what he said about that scene where they're out tethered in space together. He said, you know, immediately after being untethered, Sandra Bullock's character would have died, but When you're slowly running out of oxygen, the same thing happens as it does when you're in thin air at the top of a mountain. Everything seems funny. He says, and while you're laughing about it, you're slowly nodding off. A person who dies alone in space dies a cheerful death. So in other words, your situation is hopeless, you're slowly dying, and you think it's funny. Isn't that just a picture of our world and the folly of people who are apart from Christ? Slowly dying, but they think it's funny. I thought that was an amazing picture of folly. And the Bible tells us so much about wisdom. There's so much practical wisdom for us in scriptures. Let me give you a few, a few Proverbs um, in particular. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 12.15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 14.16, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. So if you want to be wise, one of the things that Proverbs tells us to do is just hang out with wise people. Proverbs 13 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Isn't that why you tell your children, hang out with good people, because we know that bad character corrupts, right? And then the second thing is, if you want to be wise, pray and ask God for wisdom. God is the source of wisdom. James 1 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. God loves to give us wisdom. And the third thing is, if you want to be wise, look to Jesus, who is the source and the model of wisdom. Colossians 2.3 says that it's in him in whom all are hidden, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so wisdom so wisdom is the application of knowledge. And so we look to Jesus as being the one who perfectly applied the knowledge of God to human life he is our example but it's also what we're doing here at the river we are learning so much just think about this rich study that we've had in ephesians this year we're learning so much about who god is and about who we are in light of who he is in the first 3 chapters we just learned so much about him and about his love for us and what he's done for us and now paul is teaching us how does how do we then live in light of this he's giving us wisdom he's telling us how do we apply this knowledge to the everyday outworking of our lives. And so we have wisdom right here in God's Word that we are learning to apply. But that requires focus and it requires intentionality. It requires us getting alone with the Word and with, with our study during the week and spending time, focused, intentional time, thinking about these things and praying about these things. It means showing up on a Tuesday and being ready to engage in a conversation or to listen to the Word and to pray with each other. It takes effort. And that's what Paul's telling us. It doesn't just happen. Um, It it takes an investment. It takes intentionality. It takes slowing down and making it a priority. So the second question is, why do we need to make the most of our time? Why? Well, he tells us it's because we're living in the midst of this present evil age. And I got bad news for you. It's only going to get worse until Christ returns. That's what the Bible tells us. We shouldn't be surprised about that. We're in a battle every single day with sin. We've got the sin of ourselves, our own fallen sinful nature. We've got the sin of the world and the evil that happens all around us. And then we have an enemy, the devil, who is constantly working to unearth our lives or or, um, create trouble for us. And so we're in this battle. We're living in a broken world where sin is a part of every day, and um, the world is in rebellion against God. You know, in our next chapter, when we get to chapter six, Paul is going to teach us how to be spiritually armored against the spiritual enemies, which is going to be so rich. In fact, if your children are in the creek, they're studying this right now. So your kids might come home with great stories about the the spiritual armor of God. But first, Paul's encouraging us that we have to make the most, the best use of our time. It's really important that we make good use of our time. How do we do that? We do that by cherishing every single day as a gift from God. Um, The days are short, and it really matters how we live. Just this week, two precious people in our community have passed away. In our own family here in the River, in the Evening River, is Jan Carpenter, a a precious, precious woman in our church family who got cancer and, and just died too young. And she had impact on so many people's lives but I'm so thankful that she knew Jesus and she made the most of her days. She didn't know when her days would end, but she gave glory to God for her life in so many capacities. And the other is a young girl I don't know, but I prayed for her this week, Nina, part of the Community of Faith um, congregation, a, a sweet girl who, if you, if you, she died of pneumonia, complications from pneumonia. 18 was a student at Lake Ridge High School, a real tragedy for her family. But you know, if you just read a little bit about her life, she lived life to the fullest. She was a dynamo, and she had a strong faith. And that's wisdom. Both of those women who, who died far too young, they lived wisely. They used their time well, and they gave glory to God for their lives. And this is something that I have, by God's grace, learned through suffering in my life. Through um, my son Adam, who was, when he was a little boy, was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. And when the doctors diagnosed him, they told us that his life would be very short, that he probably would not live um, into adulthood. And when we received that news, it forced, it forced us to come to grips with the fact of how are we going to live with the weight of this sorrow on our shoulders And really, we're faced with two decisions. One is probably the the, the decision that is the most, the knee-jerk response, which is to to hunker down, to protect, and to guard every day of his life and to make sure that nothing bad ever happens to him. But the other was to, to step out in faith and to trust God and to take advantage of every possible opportunity that we could have to live life to the fullest no matter how long life would be. And both one, one was rooted in fear, and one was rooted in faith. And we saw many families take the path of fear. But we chose, because of our belief in God, to choose the path of faith. So we, learned, so we truly, by God's grace, chose to do some things for our family. We chose never to, do, to put anything off for tomorrow that we could do today. When you know that tomorrow may never come, it changes how you live. And so we did everything we could to enjoy today. We took trips had family adventures to the best that we could afford. We worked super hard on our relationships. We worked super hard in our marriage because, you know, if you don't know what's going to happen to your family, you want to make sure you have the most solid foundation that you can provide for your, your children. And if you know my marriage story, that came with a lot of hard work. Um, we took, we um, grew in our education, we, we took knowledge and growing spiritually and growing in things that God had called us to do really seriously, so we continued to progress in those ways and we served the Lord wholeheartedly in ministry. We knew that every day counted and today we consider that time is the greatest gift of our lives because there's just no guarantee how much time we have. And although Adam's health is still fragile, um, he's still with us, which is awesome. He's back on the soundboard. Um, Yes. Awesome. Um, But I do often think about, you know, what if we had squandered all those years? What if we had tried to protect and sequester and, um, and, and control those years instead of trusting him to the Lord? Because, you know... Adam, he went through high school. He went off to U of O and went to college. He was an honor student in college. He graduated with honors. He came back home and he went to U of O uh, and got a master's degree. He worked for three advertising firms before he came working here, uh, full time as the director of communications at River West. He's had an amazing life for somebody who has the kind of disease that he has and literally can do nothing more than move a few fingers uh, in his body. And when a couple of years ago, five or so years ago, we went down to, to Davis, California, where we were going to start what we thought was um, a, a medical trial. We went down there as a family, and the day after we got there, the medical trial shut down, so we actually couldn't um, be part of that medical trial. But while we were there, the doctors and the nurses there met Adam, and they were so astounded by his life, and they said, oh my goodness, you're, you're in college? Like, none of the kids that we know here in, in Davis go to college. They drop out of high school. They play video games. They waste their lives because they have no hope. They they know that the diagnosis of death is on their shoulders, and so they live this completely hopeless life, and they squander their time. And they said to Adam, oh, how we wish you would come and talk to young people to know that, that, that it that." that there's hope, that you can live life to the fullest with each day that you have, whether you're healthy or whether you're sick. And that's what God wants. He wants us to understand that our life is short every everyday matters, whether we're healthy or whether we're sick. And that is wisdom. That's wisdom. We are living in a broken world, and we are suffering in many ways. All of us are, and the days are evil, but life is a precious gift from the Lord, and it matters how we live each day. And so he's saying, live wisely and make the most of your time following the will of the Lord, and then use your time to share the hope that is within you with others. Use your time to tell others about the good news with Jesus of Jesus, to live with hope. Um, To live in a broken world with all kinds of things that are really challenging, but with that hope and that joy of Christ. So how can I know the will of God? Well, sometimes we think of God's will and we think it's a mystery. We think it's like a treasure that needs to be unburied. We think of how can I possibly know God's will? But God reveals his general will to us and then he sometimes reveals his specific will to us. There are certain things that we can know about God's will generally, and there's, let me share with you, four primary ways that we can know God's general will. The first are in Scripture, and I know I'm putting a lot of verses up there for you to look at, but let me just tell you that if you go to our website and you click on the podcast this week, there'll be a tab that says Notes, and if you click on Notes, this entire PowerPoint will pull up, and you can scroll through the slides and get all of the stuff that I'm sharing with you. So, but here's the thing. Scripture tells us about God. It tells us who Jesus is. It tells us the truth of the gospel. It tells us who we are, how we get the Holy Spirit, how our lives are transformed. If we want to know God's will, Scripture is, I think, the best place to go and and find out what is God's will in general for your life. We also have his spirit. The spirit, scripture tells us, searches everything, even the depths of God. The spirit knows us intimately. The spirit reveals to us God's will and makes it clear so we can understand the will of God. The third thing you're his church. God, the Bible tells us that God is bringing his kingdom through his church. And one of the mysteries that we discovered in Ephesians is that God is doing it through Jews and Gentiles. Coming together in Christ as one family. And he is bringing his kingdom into our world through his church. That's known through scripture. That's his will. And then the fourth thing is Jesus. Jesus is the Word who became flesh. He is the one who reveals the glory of God. He came to do the will of his Father, and so he is our perfect model and example. So in general, if you want to know God's general will, it's to make you more like Jesus. God is concerned with our character, and he cares more, He cares most about who we are becoming as his children. Now, isn't that the same way it is for you and your children? Wouldn't you say that as you look at your children, no matter what ages they are, what you care most about is their character? You know that if, they, if their character is Christ-like, if they, if they are becoming people who are emulating Christ, you know that the decisions they make are going to flow out of that good place. I always told my kids, I care more about who you are as young men than I care about what you do. Because I know that if you are following after Christ, what you do will be a continuation of that pattern. And that's how it is with with us. Um, God wants us to grow up in character by emulating Jesus. Now, there are, t- there are times where we have a desire to know God's specific will. We have a question that we need an answer for. We want to know, what does God want me to do in this specific situation? And you can't find it in his word or through Jesus or through the church or by his spirit. And so you have this concern. How do I, how do I follow God's specific will? And I have a couple of charts for you to look at, thanks to my friend Christopher who, who made these. So this is how we often think of our lives. So today I have three choices to make. Uh-oh, which one shall I do? And then because each of those choices are going to have three or so more options, and then as I go out, I've gone from facing three decisions to facing nine decisions to facing many more decisions, and I tend to think, oh, no. Amongst all these decisions, there's only one right, one right answer to what is the will of God for my life. And then what happens is that we think, well, if I get just a little bit off that will, then I'm going to make decisions that are going to make God unhappy. If I get a little off, he'll be a little unhappy. But if I get way off, he's going to be really unhappy. And and how do I know how to get to that one decision that's going to make God really happy for my choices? And this is really a burden because we feel so much pressure sometimes because we have so many decisions to make that we often get paralyzed and we don't know what to do. It's like sitting in the car with the engine running but not putting it in drive. We get stuck there, not not wanting to make a step with for fear we will make a wrong step. But I want to suggest that when your desire is to follow the will of God, to emulate the character of Christ, there are a lot of choices that you could make that will, will bring glory to God. And the thing is that when you are filling your mind with the Word of God and applying His truth to your life and praying and walking in the Spirit, God will direct you, and He will lead and guide your steps. Into the into the best possible alternatives, but it, but to be Christ-like, there may be a lot of decisions you can make which would bring Him glory, and clearly, sinful and unwise decisions you could make which would not bring Him glory. So I just want to challenge you to think about. Um, when you make decisions, what are the alternatives that I could make that would bring him glory? And let him as my friend Sherry said this morning, it's you've got to get in the car and start driving. You've got to keep moving forward and trust that as you're moving forward in life, he will gently nudge you to walk this way or that and put opportunities in your path. But how can you know if which path to follow if all of them seem Christ-like? How can you know which would be the best? My suggestion would be that you spend time in careful thought and prayer over that decision and then seek wise counsel from people who are mature in the Lord and ask them to pray with you. The truth is that walking in wisdom requires faith. It requires faith. It takes faith to apply the knowledge that we have about God to the choices in our daily lives, and it takes faith to even want to walk in wisdom. We have to trust, first of all, that God's way is best against all the messages of the world that are telling us otherwise. Now, faith simply believes God and then acts upon that belief in trust. And so when we apply what we're learning from his word to our lives, we begin walking in wisdom and walking in wisdom oftentimes is a step of taking off the old and then a step of putting on the new, and a step of taking off the old and a step of putting on the new, and it's a lifelong journey. So in what area of your life, if you just think for just a moment, do you really need to walk in wisdom today? What area of your life do you need to walk in wisdom today? Maybe it's a situation that you have with a child. Maybe it's something that's going on in your, in your children's school Maybe it's a relationship conflict that you want to navigate and you you need wisdom to know what is the next thing to say, what's the next thing to do. Maybe it's a decision at your work or maybe it's a large purchase that you're getting ready to make, buying a house or buying a car and you need wisdom. You want to make the best right decision. Maybe it's a, a decision about how to spend your time today. What is the next right thing for you to do today? You need wisdom to know that. Are there ways in which you're wasting time, not making the most of each day? What are your distractions? What are the things that keep you from using your time wisely? Could be games. It could be social media. It could just be time on the computer. um, It could be watching television. It could be all kinds of things. We ask the Lord for wisdom to help you see how you're being distracted. We live in a very distracted world. And one of the things that's causing us so much distraction are the noises that come to us from our devices. You know, those ding, text message, ding, email. You know, we get these dings. And, you know, it's intentional. I don't know if you know this, but these sounds are sort of programming our brains to be like squirrel, you know. We, we have this innate response, and even as we are playing games, do you know that these, these noises that you're listening to when you're playing games are programming your brain, like slot machine noises program your brain? Be aware of these things that are causing distraction. I actually turn off notifications on Facebook and social media sites, and I turn off noises on games because I'm recognizing how they're looping my brain into a constant focus on things that can take hours of time if I'm not careful. And honestly, I don't have hours of time to give. So pay attention. Take control of these things. Ask the Lord to show you where you need wisdom about the things that are posing so much distraction. Pray and ask the Lord to help you. Um, Life is a gift, and time is shorter than you think. Okay, the second part is about walking in the Spirit. And, okay, (laughs) let's just be honest. Walking wisely is hard enough when you're sober, (laughs) is it not? Can you not see why Paul is going to address now drunkenness? It's hard enough to live wisely sober, but being—but I think being inebriated makes it nearly impossible. And so that's why Paul says, in verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Why should we avoid drunkenness? Well, I want to suggest because the most wonderful gift of our salvation is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is challenging us to be filled with the influence of the Spirit and not with the influence of alcohol or other mind-numbing substances that put us in a state of inebriation. When we drink too much, our inhibitions are lowered, right? And then we begin to act foolish. And we have a sense of joy that is derived from this numbing of our worries and our fears and our concerns and our responsibilities, um, not from the filling of the Holy Spirit, and that tends to make us cause us to make careless decisions when we're under the influence of alcohol. Now, if we're honest, I would say that that's some of the motive for over-drinking, is it not? Some of our intention in, in drinking too much is that we want to escape the pressures of life. We want to check out for a while on the... The rush of responsibilities. You know, we want to cut loose. We want to have fun. We want to remember what it's like to just be free from all the heavy weights that we bear day in and day out. But Paul knows that this kind of release is only temporary, and it's often followed with regret. If we truly want to escape our troubles, if we truly want to release the burdens, The Bible tells us to cast our cares upon the Lord. He is the one who can help us be released from these things that make us want to drink too much. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Jesus wants to bear the burdens of our worries. He wants us to lay them at his feet every day in prayer. He wants us to surrender our concerns to him and trust him to carry that weight. And that is his gift to us. To set us free from the weights that we carry. Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 5 8, he says, Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Do you know that being drunk is actually dangerous? Not only do we harm our health and we make bad decisions and we quiet the voice of the Holy Spirit but we also make ourselves vulnerable to the devil who is looking for our vulnerabilities to exploit them. And when our minds are numb and our defenses are down, then we're the most susceptible to temptation, which is an opportunity for him to cause us more pain and more shame, which then, in effect, keeps us more distant from God, right? So does that mean that alcohol is bad to drink? Well, in general, no, it's not bad to drink. Jesus drank wine, and in fact, he turned water into wine, the finest wine, at the wedding in Cana. And so alcohol in itself, the problem is not with the product. The problem is with the participant. (laughs) The product is fine. It's us that are the problem. Many people can enjoy alcohol, drinking alcohol in moderation, and they're not compelled towards excess. But for others, I want to suggest that alcohol is very dangerous Because alcoholism is rampant in our society um, today, and it's very progressive in nature. Often, 20-year-olds who start patterns of drinking, and they can get away with it to some extent because their bodies are young and they rebound quickly, if that pattern is not arrested at some point, it continues to escalate. And a person in their 40s can be a full-blown alcoholic, uh, and it continues from that stage. It's very, very progressive in its nature. Um, For those, I think, who come from families where alcohol was a staple, then it may be bad for you to drink. For example, my husband's parents, they um, would begin drinking sherry at lunchtime every day. They opened the bottle of sherry at lunch, and then as the day went on, they continued to drink more sherry, and then by hors d'oeuvre time, they had a hard drink of some kind, a highball or something of that type, and then they opened the bottles of wine for dinner, and they began to drink wine through dinner, so that was the pattern of their day. But what happened in the course of that pattern was that their personalities changed. So they, they became um, louder and ruder and more opinionated and more mean-spirited and angry and said many unkind, cruel things, began to fight. They had four children who spent those evenings sh- huddling in the back of a closet, trembling with fear that the parents were uncorked and what would happen next to them. It was a very, very painful experience for them. Shortly after Bob and I were married, it became apparent that alcohol was potentially gonna ruin our marriage. Bob and I, when we met and dated, did not drink at all. But after he began to be involved in the financial world, where drinking and cocktail hour was very much a part of the culture of his business, and he began to drink, it soon became apparent that he had an addictive tendency towards alcohol, and when he would drink, then he would treat me just the way his parents treated each other. So thankfully, he recognized that for him, alcohol wasn't good for him, and he hasn't had a drink in 22 years. So I grew up in a totally different family. My parents didn't drink at all. And so while I love the taste of wine, I love the taste of beer, I don't really love the taste of hard liquor, but I enjoy the taste of both of those things, I don't have any inclination towards alcohol addiction. I grew up in a completely non-drinking family. and so. um, But when I saw the stronghold that alcohol had on my husband and on his family, I willingly agreed not to drink. Um, it's not a legalism. I feel free to drink before the Lord, but I um, choose not to because I feel that it's better for my family if I don't drink. And also as a pastor, I know that I hang out with people who really aren't free to drink, and I don't want them to feel permission from my example to drink even though they're not free, because I understand I have a a sphere of influence. And so it's just something that I've laid down, like it's no big deal. And it really is no big deal, because I don't have any um, propensity towards it. So my answer to the question is that for some of us, it's okay to drink as long as we don't get drunk, some of us are free to make that choice because we're not addicted or damaged by alcohol. But for others, alcohol is a stronghold in our lives. It, it has taken root. And maybe it started as a pattern in our teens or 20s, and it's continuing to grow and it's continuing to gain momentum. Or there's, um, there's pain associated with alcohol in your past, in the family, your family of origin or in, in your past in some way. So for those, I would say that there needs to be a lot of care and a lot of limit and maybe abstinence in the area of drinking for you. So now do you see why we need wisdom from the Holy Spirit as we learn to walk our lives, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. Um, Each of us, we need to pay attention to the Lord. We need to pray and say, Lord, in my life, what is your will for me in this area of my life? And we each have different predispositions, and we each have different experiences that bear on this decision. So we need his wisdom. We need to know. Now, what about smoking pot? Now we have a whole new thing to contend with. The old day when people would ask a pastor, well, what about smoking pot? Can I smoke pot? And the pastor would say, well, it's illegal. So no, you can't. Well, now we can't say that anymore because it's legal. Recreational pot smoking is legal. So how do we answer this question? Well, first of all, let me just say that not everything that is legal is good. You know that if you live in Nevada, prostitution is legal. But I still think that it's immoral to be a prostitute. So we, we look to God's word for truth. We don't look to what our government standards are. But let me just give you, tell you two issues that come up with marijuana use. First of all, with marijuana, there's no standard of potency, which is the THC, which is what makes you high. In marijuana, there's no standard. Like, alcohol has a proof. There's no standard of potency with marijuana. So there's no way to govern how each joint is going to affect you. Growers are breeding for higher and higher THC potencies all the time. They're trying to increase the effect. So it's impossible to smoke just a little bit of weed and not feel the effect. And even secondhand smoke is very potent. Um, They say that many of the children that are coming into ER now are coming in from the secondhand effects of marijuana smoke. Many pets are affected as people smoke pot around their pets. So the secondary smoke is very potent as well. And unlike alcohol, where a glass of wine or, or a beer can be enjoyed with a meal and, and not cause inebriation, pot has an immediate effect on the brain. And so it's hard to smoke just a little bit and not be cognitively impaired. And then the second element of it is just that it's, it's really, smoking pot is really hard on your health. And I know that's why people are choosing to ingest it in other ways, which would be a much longer discussion. But it's hard on your lungs. It's hard on your immune system. Um, I'm I, here are some websites like I said these will be on the on our website if you want to look about the health effects of smoking pot on one website but also there's a whole study on the effects of brain on the teenage on the teenage brain and specifically on the teenage male brain which is not fully developed until the age of 28 and what smoking pot in those years does to the male brain that is actually irreversible damage and so I encourage you to look at some of this information and make the decision for yourself because again we need wisdom from God to know how to navigate these things in our culture. We need to know how to make wise choices and how to make sure that we are living under the influence of the Holy Spirit and not living under the influence of other substances. So then what happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, that's when the real lasting the joy of the Holy Spirit, instead of the temporary joy of these other substances, fills our hearts. Listen to what Paul says. He says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what happens when believers gather together and worship. There is a spirit of joy, of singing, of thanksgiving, of gratitude, of praise, of caring and sharing with one another. Do you know that when we gather together corporately and we worship God together, we are actually encouraging each other as we listen to each other's voices. This morning, you sounded so loud in your worship. You sounded so enthusiastic. And as I was worshiping and singing songs and watching Lisa and just being uplifted by her whole countenance, I was just being uplifted as I was listening to your voices. It matters that we gather corporately and we worship together. It is where we experience the greatest joy. And so God is the one who is worthy of all of these blessings he's given to us, and he's most praiseworthy for giving Him us his Holy Spirit so that we can know how to navigate our lives with wisdom Look what he's given us. His word, his son, his spirit, his church, prayer, wise believers. He's given us everything that we need to know to know how to walk wisely in the spirit through this world. And that's my last truth is that the Holy Spirit enables you to live in accordance with God's will. The Holy Spirit enables me to live in accordance with God's will. Galatians 5:25 says, "If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit." In other words, we have the Holy Spirit because of our faith in Christ, and if as we walk out each day, let's keep in step with the Spirit. I want to give you three closing convictions that I have about what God's will is for you and what God's will is for me. Three things I feel sure I can say with confidence that these are three things that are God's will for you and for me. First of all, God's will is for us to be under the influence of his spirit and not any substance that will dull our senses or alter our consciousness. So will you think with me, where do you need help with this? Will you pray for wisdom to know how to break a habit that is building dependency in your life about something apart from God? It's subtle. It can be a lot of things, but ask the Lord to show you what it is. The second thing is God's will is for his people to be holy as he is holy. Do you know this is the mission of the Holy Spirit to make us holy? Is it no wonder he's called the Holy Spirit? His mission is to make us holy like God is holy. How do you need to grow in holiness? Is there one part that you can think of of your old self that needs to come off, that's going to take some intentionality and focus for you to take it off so that you can put on the righteousness of Christ? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a behavior. Maybe it's a group of friends that you hang out with that are just not helping you grow in holiness. Maybe it's something that you listen to or something that you see something that you ingest, something that you do for recreation? Will you ask the Spirit to show you what is the next right thing for you on your journey of sanctification? And then the third thing is God's will is to make us into worshipers. One of the greatest influences of the Spirit in our lives is the ability to help our hearts engage in worship. And this happens as we sing songs of his great worth and we do it in community with each other. Are you part of a worshiping community? Are you participating in singing? Even though you think you have a terrible voice, sing your guts out. (laughs) Listen to the person next, next to you singing, reading scripture, praying. Your voice matters to God and to the people around you. So Paul today has been warning us to watch where we're walking He's telling us it takes intentionality for us to walk in wisdom. It takes focus for us to follow the Holy Spirit. And too often we're moving too fast, we're tuning God out, we're doing our own thing, and we make mistakes because we're not paying attention. We're not We're not following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so will you ask the Lord to give you wisdom this week in how you walk? And will you ask him to show you by his Spirit how you can live your life Paying attention with intentionality, with focus, listening to the Holy Spirit and taking what you're learning from his word and applying it to every day of your life. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so grateful that you show us how to live. You don't just tell us. You don't just fill our minds with truth about yourself and leave us floundering about on earth trying to figure out what to do next you actually tell us you call it out you want us to be filled with your spirit what a better way it is to live to have the real joy of your holy spirit than the artificial joy we get from from substances or from numbing out on recreational things or from all the things that we put in place of you lord help us to turn from those things would you show each one of us this week one thing that we need to lay at your feet and trust you with And would you replace our old self with these new habits and attitudes and behaviors that will make our lives more like Christ? Lord, we want to be holy as you are holy. And so thank you for what you're teaching us about yourself. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.